Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. You can open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation this morning. The book of Revelation will be in chapter 20, starting in verse 11. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that passage is found on page 602 of the uh, paperback Bibles that should be found underneath one of the chairs directly in front of you. Page 602. Um, I just prayed for a meeting tomorrow night that will take place uh, among the elders of the church. We are aware of the governor's order, his uh, mandate that uh, the state of Indiana, where residents of the state of Indiana wear masks in in public. And so uh, we're going to be working through how exactly that affects and impacts us as a congregation. So that means tomorrow night we would really value your prayers as we talk about this. And we'll be sending out details soon that this coming week about how this will affect our, our worship services this coming Sunday and going forward. Well, it was on uh, September 9th, 2018, that we began a sermon series here called Route 66, September 9th, 2018. Uh, That's almost two years ago, just about a month and a half short of two years. And today, we bring that series to a close as we look at the book of Revelation. Uh, I'll acknowledge to you that throughout this whole thing, the Route 66 is a bit of a misnomer, I guess. It should have been called Route 68 because we did three sermons in Genesis uh, and then kept to one sermon per Bible book for the rest of the series. Uh, You've got to hand it to me. I didn't diverge from that. Uh, if there's one place where I'd be tempted to diverge from that again, it would be here in Revelation because Revelation is such a complex book. It is tempting to maybe do two or three sermons in Revelation, but we're going to stick to the plan and stay with just one sermon on this book. But uh, almost two years that we've been in this study, and you might remember when we began this study back in September 2018 that I mentioned to you that the Bible needs to be understood as a story. The Bible is primarily a story. Now, by story, I don't mean that it's a myth or a fable or a fairy tale. I don't mean that kind of story. I mean that it is a story of reality. It's a story of the way things really are. It's a story that is still taking place right now. It's a story in which you and I are are players, we're characters, so to speak, in this story. It's a story that God has authored. And the Bible is telling us this, this story. The Bible is not, as some might think, kind of like, a, uh, like just a collection of random sayings and proverbs and directions, and we just look at it and, and try to do the best we can to follow what it says. That's not what the Bible's like. That's not how it's written. It's a story. It has a starting point, and it has an ending point. And today, we're going to talk about the end of the story. So, spoiler alert. You're all going to know how things end as we look at Revelation 20 and 21. It's talking about 
uh, a state of affairs that is future to us. It hasn't happened yet. And it's going to describe to us a situation where we're going to find that all of humanity, at the end of the story, when all things come to an end, all of humanity is going to be divided into two groups and separated out. The righteous and the wicked. The sheep and the goats. The believers and the unbelievers. Those who belong to God and those who don't. All of humanity divided into these two groups. And one of those groups, the righteous, the sheep, the believers, they are going to go to a place we might call heaven. And the others, the goats, the wicked, the unbelievers, are going to go to a place called hell. They will go to hell. Now, in this day and age, in this particular time, I mean, many of us are very concerned and passionate about a number of different issues. If you're looking for an issue to be genuinely, really concerned about, I have found it. And it is a fact that the Bible tells us that at the end of history, there will be people going to hell. And that should concern you. That should get your attention. And that's what Revelation here tells us about in chapter 20 and 21. It's not just about hell, though. As we go on to chapter 21, we're also going to learn about heaven. And that's what we're going to think about here, uh, just those two things in this message. So, background information on Revelation, written by the Apostle John. This is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, the same John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, this book also written very late, 95, 96 A.D., some 30 years after some of the other books in the New Testament were written. The genre of the book, I'm mentioning that because it's very relevant to our study of Revelation, it's called apocalyptic literature. That's the, that's the genre. It's not giving us just straight history like the book of Acts. It's not just a, a teaching book like the book of Ephesians. It's an apocalyptic book, which means that it contains a, a lot of strange imagery. That uh, This is a vision, actually, that was given to John. So there's dreamlike figures and a lot of symbolism. Not, not everything is to be taken absolutely literally. And so it, it just creates a lot of challenges and difficulties, actually, when we try to interpret Revelation and understand uh, what it means. But I, I think this passage we're going to look at today is, is pretty straightforward in a number of ways. Themes of the book of Revelation, we certainly have spiritual warfare throughout um, a, a, a very prominent analysis of the forces of evil in this world and, and what they look like, how they manifest themselves, worship of Jesus, encouragement to endure suffering, of course the end of history, and the basic message of Revelation is really not that hard. We can just sum it up in two words. This is what Revelation means. Jesus wins. Okay? That's, that's the bottom line of Revelation. Um, so, we're going to read chapter 20, starting with verse 11, and we'll go through 21, verse 4. So, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Revelation 20, 11 through 21, 4. <clears throat> Again, this is a vision given to John, and so he's describing what he has seen in this vision. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. 
From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared the bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Holy Spirit of the living God, please come and give us eyes to see and behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, we're going to think about this just from these two angles. The destination of the righteous and the destination of the wicked. So the first thing we're going to see is the final destination of the wicked, which is a place called hell. So, in, in this story, the biblical story... Not everyone lives happily ever after. I mean, so many stories kind of end that way. That's kind of the way that we hope all stories will end. That's not the case in in, in the scriptures. Because there is this place called hell where people will not be happy. And so, you know, a lot of people react different ways to this teaching. And so I just want to just briefly consider some of the ways, you know, maybe some of you react different ways to this teaching, but one way to react to this teaching is just to reject it. That's what some people do. They just don't like it. It's disturbing. It's troubling. So they rationalize it, and they try to figure out a way why that's not really what the Bible teaches. So a guy named Rob Bell, he wrote a book called Love Wins many years ago. It's kind of basically what he did, just kind of dismissed this idea of hell. It's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people who dismiss hell are also the people who are so outraged and angry because God won't do anything about evil and wickedness in the world. Like, here's what God's going to do about evil and wickedness in the world. There's a place called hell where all evil and wickedness will be judged. But here's how some people respond to hell. They reject it. We don't want to do that. But then on the other hand, there's some people who kind of relish it. I mean, I've known some Christians who almost seem kind of excited about the doctrine of hell. Uh, you know, almost like they look forward or get some kind of strange pleasure out of knowing that there are going to be people going to hell. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book about hell many years ago, and he opened the book by saying, if you're excited to read this book, you have issues. So I don't think we want to relish hell. I mean, of course, to the degree that God's justice is upheld, we can rejoice in that. 
but this is a doctrine that's, that's troubling, so let's just admit that at the outset. I think the best way to respond to this is just to, to humbly receive it in reverence and in awe to receive what the Scripture tells us about hell. A guy named Tozer said this years ago, the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions of people. So many people just can't bring themselves to accept that this can actually be true. But what does the Bible say? Well, let's, let's take a look at this. Again, Revelation is a vision given to John, kind of a dreamlike vision. And so what does John see? Well, look at verse 11 of chapter 20. I saw a great, a great white throne. Throne, that's a symbol of authority and power. It's a white throne. It's a symbol of purity. This is uh, power used righteously and justly. That's the idea. And there's someone sitting on that throne, and that person is God himself. Maybe the Father, maybe the Son. It's not specified here. But God himself is on this throne, and we read through the rest of verse 11 that in his presence, the earth and sky fled away. I mean, the earth and sky are so overwhelmed in the presence of this powerful, awesome, majestic God that they try to hide from God, and there's no place to go. The earth and the sky try to hide from God. They, they can't do it. And that's what John is seeing, this vision of this throne. But then who does John see? There's people involved here, and we see that in verse 12 that there are the dead, great and small. So people have already passed away, great and small, no distinction, people who are famous, people who nobody knows, great and small, and they are all standing before this throne. So John sees these multitudes of people. And what happens, according to verse 12, is that books are now opened in the presence of all of these people. And the reason why these books are opened is because these books are going to be used for the final judgment of all of these people for how they have lived their lives. So two things here to consider with that. One, let's just think, who is it who is judged? Who is it? Well, everyone great and small, we saw that. I think we're getting the idea again. There's, there's no exemption here. This is just all kinds of people. But as you go to verse 13, you see this description of the sea, the sea who gave up the dead who were in it. I, I think w what that means is that even those who have died at sea are brought before the throne. You know, if you think of anybody who would maybe be forever forgotten or people who can't be found, you can hardly think of a more remote place than the bottom of the sea. And particularly in ancient times where it would be hard to de uh, plumb the depths of the sea to find what's down there. Um, what John is saying here is that when you think of people who have been lost at sea, that if there's anybody who might not have to stand before the throne, maybe it would be them. <laughs> because how do we find out where they are? But in this vision, no, even those in the sea are brought before the throne. And then verse 13 goes on. It says, death 
and Hades, they gave up the dead who were in them. Hades is just a, kind of a broad description for the place of the dead. It's where, it's where the dead reside without necessarily a distinction of heaven or hell. It's just a place where dead people are. So what John is saying here is that whether you're lost at sea or whether you've passed away, it doesn't matter. Every single person is going to be brought before the throne of God on the last day. No one gets away. No one's exempt. No one's forgotten. Everybody. That means you, and that means me, are going to be brought before the throne of God one day. Now, how are we judged? Well, we see that there are these books in verse 12. These, these books are opened, and we find out that in these books that um, everything that these people have done, everything that you and I done, are, are recorded in these books. End of verse 12. They're judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now that's a troubling thought, isn't it? <laughs> that everything you've ever done is being written down in heaven, recorded, so that it won't be forgotten. And on the basis of what is written in those books, there will be judgment. You know, sometimes we get upset when someone commits a crime or does something awful and they never have to pay for it, and we say, they got away with murder. I couldn't believe it. That guy got away with murder. Well, what this passage is telling us is that nobody gets away with murder. Nobody gets away with anything. And you might kind of relish that. Yeah, nobody gets away with murder, but you know what else? No one gets away with pride. No one gets away with lust. No one gets away with envy. Nobody gets away from deceit. No one gets away from idolatry. Nobody gets away with anything. Now, you might be thinking here, well, wait a minute, I, I thought you said that, uh, you know, every Sunday you're always talking about grace and how, you know, we're not judged by our, our works, that our works don't play into our salvation. I mean, that's true. We're not saved by the things that we do. That's absolutely true. But it's pretty clear here in this passage that we're going to be judged according to what we've done. And, and all that means is that what you do, the way you live in your life, shows what you believe. It's just a demonstration of what you believe. You know people who say they believe one thing and they act very different, like the husband who says he loves his wife but he's never at home and he abuses her and insults her and spends no time with her. Does he love her? He says he loves her, but does he? His life sure doesn't show it. Our lives, our deeds demonstrate what we believe. If there's no heat, there's no fire. You can't make the argument that a fire actually exists when there is no heat. The heat proves that the fire is there as James says James chapter 2 I will show you my faith by my works that's what's talking about here not salvation by works but works as a demonstration of what a person really believes so what happens then verse 14 according to this passage then death and Hades Death itself is thrown into, and we see this phrase, the lake of fire. That's hell. The lake of fire is hell. Death and Hades thrown into this place. And then it says this is the second death. Uh, that means that you know, we're talking about dead people who are now being kind of brought back to life before the throne. And 
now that they're judged on their works, they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire for a second death. They already died once, now this is a second death. Now you might say, well, what about people who are alive during this time? Uh, the passage doesn't specify this. I think if we go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, we will see that those alive when Jesus comes again will be brought up in the clouds to meet him for this judgment as well. So rather than talk too much about that, I'll just refer you back to the sermon on 1 Thessalonians 4 um, a few Sundays ago where I talked about that uh, in some detail. But here we have people are judged and they're thrown into this lake of fire. And the Bible tells us this is a, a place of darkness. This is a place of banishment from God. This is a place of utter loneliness. This is a place of torment. This is a place of eternal punishment, the scripture says. And some people are going there. Now you might be saying, man, this is really depressing. Why are you telling us this? I mean, this is not inspiring. I, this is not making me feel good here. I come to church to feel good. <laughs> and this is not making me feel good. Why are you telling me this? Well, listen, friends. If an F5 tornado were coming to your town in 30 minutes, wouldn't you want to know it? If you're driving down the road and the bridge is out 100 yards ahead, wouldn't you want to know it? If you're about to get into the Gulf of Mexico and swim and that... Gulf is infested with sharks. Wouldn't you want to know it? Wouldn't you be mad at the weather service if they didn't tell you about the tornado? And wouldn't you be mad at the Department of Transportation if they didn't put up a sign about the bridge out? And wouldn't you be mad at the people who own the beach if they didn't have a sign that warns you from going into the water? I think the answer is yes to all these things. And friends, if there is a place of torment where people are going, don't you want to know it? Don't you want to at least know that it exists? We're not being warned about it just here in Revelation. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1. Those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. That's hell. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. That's what we're reading about in Revelation 20, that final day when Jesus comes again. Paul warns against it. Jesus spoke of hell quite frequently. Here's one example from Mark chapter 9. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I mean, there's hardly, there are few things more horrible to think about than having your eye gouged out. And yet what Jesus is saying is better to do that than to wind up in hell. That's how bad it is. Now, is there anybody who avoids this place? <laughs> is it possible to avoid this place called hell? Well, if you go back to verse 12, I kind of skipped over this wonderful little phrase in the middle of verse 12. It says there was another book. Another book was open. Not just these books of the deeds of everybody, but this thing called the book of life. Oh, thank God for the book of life. There is a book of life, and in the book of life, there are also names written. And actually, these people written in the book of life, they are also guilty before God. But there's a difference between them 
and those in the other books. And that's that these people are forgiven. These people have been washed in the blood of Jesus. These are people justified before God. People that God has declared not guilty. These are people redeemed by the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. These are the people who stand before the throne and they don't say, look at me, God, and how religious and moral I've been and how many good things I've done for other people. I am a good guy. I'm not like the other evil people. I'm one of the good ones. Now, those aren't the ones written in the book of life. The ones written in the book of life are those who say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when Jesus talks about that in Luke, he says, that's the person who goes home justified. In other words, that's the person whose name is written in the book of life. And has that occurred for you in your life? I mean, here, here's the truth. All sins are going to be punished, but there's two ways that's going to happen. Either you're going to suffer the punishment for your sins, or you can have Jesus be punished for your sins in your place. Those are the only two ways it can happen. And if Jesus is punished for your sins, you don't have to be. And you won't be. And that will be the proof that your name is written in the book of life. Paul says this in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He suffered the curse. He suffered punishment. He paid the penalty. And if you put your trust in him, you will not be thrown into the lake of fire. That's the good news. That's the gospel. You know, so many times people kind of try to reduce the severity of hell because they don't like it, but it's like the worse hell is, the greater the gospel is. The worse hell is, the more Jesus has done. The more pain and suffering there is there, the more we know that God loves us for what he was willing to do to save us from that horrible place. So that's the final destination of the wicked, a place called hell. But now let's move on. We also see here in this passage the final destination of the righteous, which is the new earth, which we see in, starting in chapter, uh, in chapter 21. Now, notice here in my point, I didn't say heaven, did I? The final destination of the righteous, heaven. I didn't say heaven because that's not what the text says. Look at verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's what John sees, a new earth. I don't think it's wrong necessarily to refer to this as heaven, but it's not quite accurate. What John sees is the new heavens and the new earth. What he sees is not a situation where people are kind of floating up into the clouds and going to heaven. What he sees is heaven coming down from God to the earth. So you see that in verse 2. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So this is one of the most commonly misunderstood things about the Christian faith. If you've been here at New Life for a while, you know I like to talk about this. But it's so easily misunderstood. This is just something I find that so many Christians don't know. And it's this, that when a Christian dies in this life, that person's soul goes to be with Jesus, and we can call that heaven. The souls of all Christians who have died so far are with Jesus. But Revelation 21, again, it's talking about the end of the story. It's talking about a time future to us. 
And something different is going to happen at the end of the story. And what John says is it's nothing less than the renovation, the transformation, the full redemption of the entire created cosmos. That's what Jesus has come to do. And that's the picture that we're getting here in Revelation 21. So today, souls go to be with Jesus, but when Jesus comes again at the end of history, we're going to have a resurrection of the dead. We're going to have souls and bodies being reunited. And although deceased souls have gone to be with Jesus, when Jesus comes again, it's heaven coming back down to earth, and resurrected bodies live on a renewed, glorified earth for all eternity. That's the end of the story, according to Revelation 21. Christian gospel is not just for souls, it's for bodies also, in fact, for the entire universe. So uh, let's look at this in some detail here. Three, three things. First of all, we shouldn't, shouldn't be surprised that we have a new heavens and the new earth. Here's Isaiah prophesying of it hundreds of years before Jesus comes. Isaiah says, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, be glad of my people, and no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Colossians 1, Paul says, In Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in, on earth or in heaven. Through Jesus' blood on the cross, he's reconciled earth to himself. Right? In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, or blessed, I can't remember what it is, but they will inherit the earth, it says. So the earth has a future in the Christian gospel. It's a wonderful thing to contemplate. So th three things here, I keep forgetting my quotes. Albert Walters, the scope of redemption is as great as that of the fall. It embraces creation as a whole. If the whole creation is affected by the fall, then the whole creation is also reclaimed in Christ. It's the hope of the gospel, a cosmic gospel. All right, so th three things about this uh, future destination of the righteous. One, it, it is a place. Okay, I think I've made that point. Uh, it's not ultimately a place in the clouds. It's, it's an earthly place. Isaiah says we're going to build houses and plant vineyards. And uh, the call to worship, read by Pastor Brian, and, and Isaiah 35 talks about this future, very earthly existence. Um, thankfully, there is going to be a big difference between that place and this place, and that is that all traces of sin and evil are going to be removed. So you see that in verse 4 of uh, chapter 21, the very end of verse 4, there's Death will be no more. There's going to be no more mourning. There's no crying. There's no pain. All these former things, they've, they've passed away. Everything that makes life on this earth so hard and miserable and difficult, those things all pass away. So it's not the exact same state of affairs that we're going to have to endure for all eternity. It's a place on the earth where all evil is eradicated. We even have this mention of the end of verse 1, the sea was no more. That's one of those odd kind of revelation statements. What does that mean, the sea no more? Well, the sea in the scriptures often is symbolic of chaos and evil and wickedness and death. And I think what John is saying is that that's not going to have a place in the new earth. The sea is no more. It'll be a place of peace and happiness and stability. But it is a place 
a physical place. But secondly, see that it's going to be filled with people, <laughs> the new earth. I mean, this idea that we have this personal relationship with Jesus and it's just me and Jesus together, um, if that's the way you think of the gospel, you might not like it on the new earth because there's going to be a lot of people on the new earth. John talks about this holy city in verse 2, the new Jerusalem that comes down. I mean, what do you think about when you think of a city? You think about people. You don't go to a city to get away from people. Cities are teeming with people. And John even goes on to talk in verse 3. He says the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, plural, and they will be his people. So on this new earth, there's going to be this, this beautiful, wonderful reunion of all Christians from all over the world and throughout all periods of history. Your mother, your father, your brother, your best friend, your son, your daughter, whoever passed away in the Lord, you're going to see them again one day. They're going to be there in the new Jerusalem. And you're going to be with them. You're going to have a lot to catch up on. You're going to have a lot to talk about. And you're going to have all eternity to do it. Stillborn babies, lost as you've never even met mothers. You'll be reunited with them in the new Jerusalem. How about meeting Paul and, and, and Luther and Calvin and Augustine? They're going to be there too. <laughs> and we're going to talk with them. Get, to get some questions answered about Paul and some of his writings. <laughs> There's going to be a reunion with the people of God for all eternity. And then lastly, um, we find that it's going to be a place where God is present. And this is what makes the new earth worth it. This is what makes it truly special. This is what makes it a place that you want to be. Jesus is going to be there. And you're going to meet him face to face. He's going to look you in the eyes, and you're going to look him in the eyes. He's going to be there. Do you see what it says here in uh, verse 3? I just read it, but it says, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. You remember the way the story started in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned against God and they were expelled from the Garden. And ever since then, humankind has been separated from God. And yet God has continually throughout his word made these covenant promises. You know, a day is going to come when I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. And all of that finds its final culmination right here on the new earth where we dwell with God as a bride adorned for her husband, it says. Like we're going to be like two newlyweds, us and God, in love, devoted to each other for all eternity. The new earth will go on forever and ever in God's presence. There's one other thing to mention here. And that is that I've been talking about books here a little bit. But you know what? There's, there's another book. And it's not mentioned here specifically in Revelation. But back in Psalm 56.8, it mentions a book. And it's a book in which all of your tears have been recorded. Psalm 56 talks about a jar in which... God keeps all your tears. And it goes on. It talks about a, a book. And what we also see here in Revelation 21 is that all the tears that you've shed 
for whatever reason, and God knows every reason that you've shed tears. He knows the tears you've shed because of, of loneliness and lost jobs and cancer diagnosis and miscarriages and heart attacks and infertility and broken relationships and persecution misunderstandings and failed marriages children who die before you do God has all that recorded in a book and on the new earth when you are reunited with him do you see what it says at verse 4 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes it, it's, it's not just that your tears are going to go away it doesn't say just the tears are going to disappear it's God himself who will approach you in your presence and reach forward with his hand and wipe away your tears knowing exactly the reason for every single tear that you've shed. I mean, you know how hard it is when you shed tears and you're talking to somebody and they don't understand? They don't get it. They don't understand the pain you've been going through. They don't know what you're talking about. But God does. He's not only recorded these tears, he's endured suffering himself and the person of his son on the cross. He understands. He gets it. And he's going to wipe away those tears. That might be the best thing about the new earth. To know that all that is sad will come untrue on that final day. So friends, I know whatever it is, you know, whatever it is you're going through right now, whatever difficulty, whatever trouble, whatever crisis, remind yourself, the new earth is your final destination. You, you are headed for a place that is better than any place you've ever been. I mean, it is a beautiful place with a glorious God, with all of God's people who love you and you love them. No more broken relationships or arguments. It's a perfect state of affairs. That's your destination. Whatever you're going through right now, just remind yourself that's where you're headed. That's where you're going. That's where it winds up. That's the end of the story. And know also, friends, that whatever effort you put forth in this life in service to Christ in your prayers and the reading of scripture and sharing the gospel and service to the church, none of it is a waste of time. And when you get to the new earth, you, you are going to be glad for every single thing you have done in service to Jesus. So I'm going to close here by uh, reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible. I, I started this series almost two years ago by reading a little bit from this. And this is such a wonderful book because it puts the whole biblical story in the frame of a story. And uh, it's a children's book, but I, I recommend that all adults read it, actually. It's just such a, a very good summary of the gospel and the biblical story. So here's how it ends. Jesus' storybook Bible, uh, referring to <coughs> this passage in Revelation. It says, the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding, no more crying or being lonely or afraid, no more being sick or dying, because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, look, I am making everything new. And then, for anyone who says, 
yes to Jesus, for anyone who believes what Jesus said, for anyone who will just reach out and take it, then God will give them this wonderful gift to be born into a whole new life, to be who they really are, who God always made them to be, their own true selves, God's dear child. Because you see, the most wonderful thing about this story is that it's your story too. It's our story as God's people and God's story as the redeemer of sinners like us. What good news. Father, we thank and praise you for your redemptive story, for the good news that for those of us who trust in you, Jesus, we know that we will live happily ever after with all of your people and in your presence. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.